0: Well, it's a joy for me to be here today. My name is Han Cho. I'm a lay pastor serving in the Cornerstone Fellowship Group. My day job is being a corporate lawyer, but I love the Lord, I love his church, and I love the word of God. So I'm truly excited to preach today, especially because this has been such an interesting and convicting study. I've titled this message Recognizing the Fool Within. Because my desire is not to equip you to walk around pointing fingers and saying to yourself, there's a fool, there's a fool, there's a fool. I don't want that because we know from Matthew, um, let me see if I can do this, sorry. Matthew five twenty two. Uh, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, in context, that verse is a warning against anger and a reminder that without Jesus Christ, any careless word even is sufficient to send us to an eternity in hell. But even so, we always want to honor the Lord, including in our thought life, and so I still don't want you to be going around mentally labeling people as fools. That is not my goal because it probably isn't going to be very loving to do that, since love believes and hopes and endures all things. So again, this message is not for us to point fingers at other people. Instead, my desire is for you to know what the proverbial fool looks like, so that you can point the finger at yourself and hopefully recognize any of these tendencies that you might have. And then, with the help of the Holy Spirit and prayer and the Word of God and maybe some accountability as well, perhaps you can halt some of those tendencies and live a more God-honoring life full of wisdom and victory. So in keeping with that tone, I've determined that any examples that I might use today would be either someone biblical or deceased or myself. So as an Asian lawyer, I thought I'd start with a story about an Asian lawyer. This tale comes to us from the website The Torontoist, drawing from news reports in the Toronto Star. Gary Hoy, a 39-year-old senior partner with the law firm of Holden Day Wilson, had an unusual habit body-checking the windows of his office to determine their strength. On July 9, 1993, Hoy decided to liven up a party for incoming law clerks by making his signature move on a twenty fourth story window. At his first attempt, the window held. As it dawned on the assembled youth that they had hitched their career wagons to a firm where senior partners batter themselves against windows like demented houseflies, Hoy took a second run. This time, the glass popped out of the frame, sending Hoy free falling to the courtyard below. Lamentably, if predictably, he died from his injuries. We can never know what motivated Hoy a desire to prove the robustness of modern construction techniques, whimsy, or just simply showing off. We do know that his early demise could have been avoided had he left the testing to the experts or consulted with structural engineer Bob Greer, who stated, I don't know of any building code in the world that would allow a 160-pound man to run up against a glass and withstand it. Hoy's defenestration, which is just a fancy word for being thrown out of a window, left him more celebrated in death than he would ever been in life, netting him a 1996 Darwin Award, <laughs> sizable Snopes and Wikipedia entries, and segments in the television shows 1,000 Ways to Die and Mythbusters. Following the accident, Peter Lowers, managing partner of Holden Day Wilson, told the Toronto Star that Hoy had been one of their, quote, best and brightest, unquote. The firm went under three years later. (laughs) So this is a sad story. It's, It's an amusing story, but it's also a sad story. And I promise I'm not telling it to you for the purposes of mockery or with any disrespect intended to the dead, But I think we can all agree that Hoy's decision to body-check the 24th-story window was a foolish one. And it illustrates the truth that even the best and brightest among us, as Hoy was honestly considered among his peers, are at times capable of being foolish, even incredibly foolish. And this brings us to today's message. Now, when we talk, use terms like fools and foolishness, it's important to define what we're talking about here. Scripturally, all of our actions tend to break down into a few categories. We have actions that are sin. These are things that God either explicitly or implicitly forbids in Scripture or that subjectively violates a believer's conscience conscience pursuant to Romans 14.23. On the flip side, there are actions that are commanded by Scripture. But in that broad area in between sin and God's commands rests the freedom of Christian liberty. Back in 2015, I did a Sundays in July sermon titled Honoring God in the Gray Areas, and it covered this very topic. But even as we consider Christian liberty, there are additional categories of actions within that very liberty, actions which we would call wise, neutral, or foolish. To give you a concrete example, let's consider an action like using the internet. You can use the internet wisely to help with your work or to listen to some good sermons. You can use the internet neutrally perhaps for some occasional innocent entertainment. Or you can use the internet foolishly, wasting a ton of time and recklessly visiting a bunch of risky websites. And as we walk through life, we come to realize that there are a lot of different activities with dynamics just like these, with variations from wisdom to neutral to foolishness. Consider areas like dating or entertainment choices or how you spend your money or what kind of schooling you pursue, even what you eat and drink. In each of these areas, there are wise and neutral and foolish things you could do. So how do we process through actions and decisions like these? How can we pursue a path of wisdom and avoid a path of foolishness? As always, our answer is contained in the inerrant and sufficient word of God, by which we may be complete, equipped for every good work. And in my opinion, No book is better suited for helping us pursue wisdom and avoid foolishness than the Proverbs. I absolutely love the Proverbs, and for a book that focuses so much on wisdom, it's telling that it contains so many negative object lessons relating to foolishness, as well as that classic character from Proverbs named the fool. Now, whenever I do a topical study like this, if it's possible, my desire is to examine as complete and comprehensive Set of verses as I can. So I went ahead and looked at every occurrence of the Hebrew words for fool and folly in the book of Proverbs. And the fruit of that labor is found on your handout, which should have been on your seat. The most common and straightforward Hebrew word for fool is kasil, and it means stupid fellow, dullard, or fool. And it's characterized practically by a tendency to make bad decisions. We also have the related words evil and ivelet, which mean foolish, silly, or folly, and are characterized by someone who is foolish and morally bad. Finally, we have the related words navel and naval, which mean to be foolish or senseless, and are characterized by a person who is vile or wicked with no perception of ethical or religious claims. So when I looked at all of these Hebrew words for fool and folly, I ended up with 81 different passages in the Proverbs. And when I considered those 81 passages, I had one of those Scripture is so cool moments. And and I love them so much. And and if you've never done it, I highly recommend you try sometime a word study like this. You you just pick a word that isn't super common and find every reference to it in Scripture, or perhaps just in the Old or New Testament, or even just one book like I'm doing, and then read all of them together holistically. Because when you do that, sometimes you start to see certain patterns emerge. And that's exactly what happened for me in this word study of the fool from Proverbs. I came up with three overarching themes that describe a proverbial fool. First, the fool has an unteachable mind. Second, the fool has an irresponsible mind heart and third the fool has an untamed tongue now to be clear i'm not saying these three themes are the only themes that a person might find and i'm sure in your own review and creativity you could find others but these are the ones i'm going to cover today and even though the handout attempts to roughly categorize all 81 verses into these three categories i certainly don't have time to cover all 81 verses in this message But we will be referencing a number of selected and impactful ones that will hopefully establish each of these themes a little more clearly and specifically. So let's look at our first theme the fool has an unteachable mind. Teachability is such an important topic in Scripture. I actually taught on teachability from the Proverbs back in February 2018 in my fellowship group, Cornerstone. And the main points of that sermon were to chase after wise counsel, to cherish correction. And then to actually change course in your actions. Well, the fool from Proverbs is the flip side of that sermon because his very life demonstrates the dangers of unteachability. And the problem with the fool is that having an unteachable mind creates a truly vicious cycle. The fool lacks wisdom and makes a bad decision. Lacking a teachable mind, he doesn't grow or learn from that bad decision. And as a result, he continues to make bad decisions, sometimes even the very same types of bad decisions moving forward. It's like an endless loop of folly. So I've just made a claim that there's a pattern in Proverbs showing that the fool has an unteachable mind. And as always, when I make a claim, I want to be able to support it biblically. So here we go. Let's look at Proverbs 1 verse 7. It's such a classic proverb. How long, O simple ones, wait, sorry, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Rather than fearing the Lord, fools instead despise wisdom and instruction. Their mind is unteachable. There's no interest in learning at all. And I want you to note that there are no loopholes or exceptions here. This is a fundamental hallmark of a fool. They despise wisdom and instruction. Or take a look at Proverbs 122. "How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple?" I was just talking about that earlier before this uh, session. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? Fools hate knowledge. This is the same concept as earlier in Proverbs 1-7. There is no teachability. And fools are unteachable because they hate the very subject matter of knowledge, of of learning. Think about it for a moment. Imagine a concert by a singer that you absolutely hate. Would you pay good money for tickets to see that singer? Fight traffic and crowds to get in? Sit through a two-hour performance? For a singer that you absolutely cannot stand? No way, forget it, you're out of there, right? Well, that's exactly the same situation with the fool and knowledge. Learning takes hard work. Wisdom is costly to obtain. And there's no way that a fool spends the time and effort necessary to do this, not to get something that he hates. So by showing you what fools think about wisdom... I've established a broad proposition from Proverbs that a fool has an unteachable mind. But it's often helpful to take a proposition like this and drill down into specifics, even to go from theoretical to actual. In my own life, I remember reading The Exemplary Husband by Stuart Scott as a single man, and it was a great book. But then I read it a year or so after I got married, married and then it was a devastating book. I still remember the couple of pages in the your husband listing specific manifestations of pride. And I was like, yeah, I do that. I do that. I do that. I do that. It was really kind of a watershed moment. And my own wife has agreed with me that the post-marriage reading of that book was helpful, very helpful to our own marriage. Well, my desire here is to talk about some specific ways that a fool has an unteachable mind in the hopes that doing so might help you recognize certain ways, and I pray only a few limited ways, where you may be acting like a fool. So how specifically does a fool have an unteachable mind? Well, let's start with this. A fool has an unteachable mind because he already thinks he knows it all. This is crystal clear from Proverbs 26.12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Note the language, there is more hope for a fool than for this man, the man who is wise in his own eyes and is even worse than a fool. In his great pride and arrogance, he thinks he already knows it all. He's got this. Maybe you've heard stuff like this before. No, 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 no. Maybe your biblical counsel is fine for other people, but you don't really know me. You don't know what my life is like. You don't know what I've been through. I know what's best for me, so I'm going to do it my way. It's so common in America are often self-centered, individualistic, consumeristic, independent experientialism that elevates subjective feelings over objective truth. This very idea is reinforced in Proverbs 28, 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. So if you just blithely trust in your own mind, you're being a fool. That's what Proverbs 28, 26 says. And again, this is so common today. So many times we do what we do without thinking about why we're doing it or whether what we're doing is has any biblical basis or benefit whatsoever. You should be constantly and continually testing your thinking and your actions against Scripture. And for the more important decisions in your life, before you make them, maybe you should seek some godly and wise counsel from other mature believers and leaders in your life. Because the reality is that you don't know it all. And if you go around practically acting like you do, then you may be demonstrating that you have an unteachable mind. So, by thinking they know it all, this brings us straight into our next subpoint of how a fool has an unteachable mind. A fool despises advice. We see this linkage clearly in Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. He thinks he knows it all. He thinks he's right. So unlike the wise man, he refuses to listen to advice. Look at those words, right in his own eyes. That's the exact same concept that we see in the book of Judges. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes for a time period that was symbolic of an utterly depraved and rebellious society. There's a sense of independence here. Maybe this is a Christian who's isolated himself and seeking his own desires, as it says elsewhere in Proverbs. Maybe it's someone who's on the fringe, who's not really involved at all with other Christians, who he happens to keep perhaps at arm's length. Or maybe it's someone even who goes and gets counsel from a bunch of people. Maybe it's even some of the wisest and most mature Christians around, but then that person refuses to listen to that advice, or as the Hebrew root conveys, refuses to heed that advice. By the way that he treats that advice, it's clear that the fool, in fact, despises that advice, and that's what we see in Proverbs 23, 9. Do not speak in the hearing of the fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. This verse shows us that the course of wisdom, at some point, is actually not to speak. So if you're someone who loves to be around wise people, but then never really heed what they say you shouldn't be surprised if they eventually stop talking or even maybe perhaps make themselves scarce because that's what wisdom would have them do. And finally, let's look at Proverbs 15.5. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. The fool despises advice so much that not even his own father, who the fool is commanded to honor in Scripture who has loved and supported him from birth, not even the father can teach the unteachable fool. It's really an ugly picture of a kid disrespecting his parents. Maybe the fool is saying, oh, he, he's so behind the times in old fashion. Or maybe it's, what does he know? What, what does he remember about being a kid? He doesn't understand what it means to be young and in love. Regardless, There's no interest there at all in learning, in heeding the wisdom of an older man who unquestionably loves him and wants only the best for him. So what happens next? What's another way that a fool demonstrates his unteachable mind? Well, if he despises even the advice of his own father who he's commanded to honor, it's no surprise that when the fool goes and makes his foolish decision, he's completely shameless about it. We see this clearly in Proverbs 13, 16. In everything, the prudent acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. So it's not just that he thinks he knows it all or that he just despises advice. Even in the midst of his folly, he goes around and flaunts it. Note that the word for folly here is not about ignorance, so it's not even, I don't know, I don't care. It's more like, Well, a bunch of people have advised me it's foolish, but I know better. And so I'm not just going to do my own thing. I'm going to flaunt it in front of them and everyone. Yeah, that'll show those people who tried pointing me to God's word. And they flaunt it because Proverbs 15, 21 says, folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. They're having a good old time doing what they want to do, flaunting, showing off, you know, in our age of social media, this has become so clear in many cases. Our increasingly Romans 1 society has completely lost its sense of shame. Instead, it proudly trumpets foolishness, even sin, to the entire world. That's another sign of an unteachable mind, an utter shamelessness in showing off your folly. I think you know what I'm talking about, sharing words and pictures and even videos sometimes of complete Drunkenness, for example, or drinking parties, or of nakedness or near-nakedness, or immoral relationships of all kinds, or filthy language, or even blasphemy against God. We see this all the time from the world, of course, but tragically, we sometimes even see it from people in the church. Often this behavior is clearly sinful, but at a bare minimum, it's a sign of foolishness and the fool's unteachable mind. So we'll do one more. Another way a fool demonstrates his unteachable mind is that he will persist in his foolishness even after suffering the consequences. I'll open this subpoint by citing Proverbs 22.15, and twenty six three. They're all in your handout, and all three verses talk generally about how fools will receive beatings and the rod. Tragically, however, this correction doesn't really have any effect, as we see in Proverbs 17.10. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. The fool suffers the consequences of a hundred blows, and yet his mind is so unteachable it's as if they bounce right off. Just as advice is despised and rejected, so too are rebuke and consequences, It's like an image of a guy who's flatly wrong, maybe even knows that he's wrong, but he's so stubborn and prideful and shamelessly in love with his folly that he's going to stick to his guns anyway. And this dynamic is shown even more strongly in Proverbs 27, 22. Crush a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. The consequences could totally crush him He even grind him as finely as flour. And yet still the fool will not depart from his folly. As we think about these ways that a fool has an unteachable mind, how he already thinks he knows it all and despises advice and is shameless about his folly and persists in it even after suffering the consequences, I think we have a perfect case study from Scripture, and that's the writer of many of these Proverbs, Solomon himself. Think about it. This is the wisest man who ever lived. And yet in his dealings with women, with foreign gods, he was a complete fool. In these dealings, he had an utterly unteachable mind. He thought he knew it all. And maybe he really did know many things. He was the wisest man who ever lived, after all. But he rejected the most basic commands of God in Exodus 34, 12 through 16 not to intermarry with unbelievers, and not to go after foreign gods. And I have no doubt that certain people in his life advised him against this. And even more than that, this is incredible to me, we know from 1 Kings 11 verses 9 and 10 that God himself appeared twice to Solomon to warn him against this path. Can you even imagine? God himself appeared twice to Solomon saying, don't do this. And yet Solomon despised the Lord and despised all advice and shamelessly pursued 700 wives and 300 concubines. He was really living out loud and proud. It's not like you can hide these wives and concubines, right? Everyone knew it. And yet he still trumpeted his folly. And even after warnings and dire consequences, even being drawn away to worship foreign gods, Solomon still persisted hey, she looks good. Let's add another one and another one and another one and another one. It's just so tragic. The wisest man who ever lived, and even he was susceptible to being a complete and utter fool. How much more so us? Now, I praise the Lord that we have evidence from Ecclesiastes that Solomon Solomon repented at the end of his life, But even so, there was so much wasted potential. So much of his life was such a complete shipwreck, and it's truly grievous. Let's move on to our second main theme, the fool has an irresponsible heart. This is another fundamental aspect of a fool, and by a slight margin, it's the theme where I allocated the largest number of passages. I say irresponsible heart here because emotion is very often a factor in these verses, it's also interesting to note that the fool's irresponsibility has a tendency to harm not just himself, but also other people. But again, I've made a claim that there's a pattern in Proverbs showing that the fool has an irresponsible heart, and so now let's go and support that claim biblically. I think this aspect of the fool is demonstrated most clearly by three verses in Proverbs 26, verses 6 through 10. I'm actually going to read the whole passage, but we'll focus on verses 6, 8, and 10 since verses 7 and 9 are more about speech, which we'll cover later. Let me read the passage, Proverbs 26, verses 6 through 10. Whoever sends a a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a passing fool or drunkard. This passage shows what happens when you entrust a fool with any kind of responsibility. If you need to send an important message, don't send a fool because he's so irresponsible he'll get it wrong or confuse the meaning and you'll regret it badly. That's verse 6. Even something that seems innocent, like giving a fool a place of honor, is useless, just like a sling whose stone is tied to it. Doing that would be irresponsible because the fool can't even receive honor well. He'll just show himself to be unworthy of it. That's verse 8. And finally, hiring a fool as an employee hurts everyone around him, employer, fellow employees, customers, because he's a completely irresponsible and incompetent worker. That's verse 10. And how does the fool feel about all of this? Well, Proverbs 10.23 tells us, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. He doesn't feel badly at all. He's certainly not convicted of his wrongdoing because he thinks it's all some gigantic big joke. That's how irresponsible the fool's heart is. And what happens as a result of the fool's irresponsible heart? It's summed up well in Proverbs 13:20, "Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm." I preached a message for Sundays in July in 2016, how to be a good friend on the topic of proverbial friendship. And one thing that we see in the Proverbs, both in Proverbs 13:20 which I just quoted, as well as other verses like Proverbs fourteen seven, leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. From verses like those, we see that the course of wisdom is not to be close and intimate friends with the fool. If we fail to heed that scriptural wisdom, we have no one to blame but ourselves when we suffer the consequences for it, because a companion of fools will suffer harm. So as we did with our first theme, let's drill down into specific ways the fool is irresponsible. Our 1st subpoint is that a fool has an irresponsible heart because he's reckless. Recklessness means to lack proper caution, to be careless of consequences. So in this situation, a fool's irresponsibility is demonstrated by the fact that he just doesn't care mentally about the consequences. It's an apathy toward or even embrace of dangerous situations. I can prove this subpoint very easily because Proverbs 14, 16 states it plainly. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. I mean, that's crystal clear, right? To voluntarily engage in reckless and careless behavior is to be a proverbial fool. To give you some concrete examples of what that might look, look like, let's consider life insurance. If you've ever applied for life insurance, you know that they ask you some pointed questions. And two of the most common are, do you smoke and do you skydive? (laughs) That's just the reality of these applications. Now, a yes to either one of those questions could disqualify you from life insurance. Or in some cases, maybe they will indeed still cover you, but at a much higher premium. Or perhaps with an exclusion for those activities. Why is that? Because statistically speaking, and believe me, the actuaries who crunch the numbers on life insurance, this is like a science to them. They've really got this down pat. Statistically, people who smoke or skydive have a much higher chance of dying early than the general population. Now, does that automatically mean you're a fool if you do these things? I'm not going to go quite that far, much less say that you're in sin for doing these things. But even so, the question, why are you doing these things, really ought to be at least a little bit present in your mind. It ought to be at least a little bit sobering for you to think about in light of this proverb. A fool is reckless and careless, especially for things that provide only, let's just say, questionable benefit, like smoking and skydiving. Let's look at another example of recklessness. Proverbs 7.22 says, all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast. Or in the NESB, it says, as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool. This is from Proverbs chapter 7, which is a famous warning against sexual immorality. The fool here, the young man lacking sense, is deliberately placing himself in harm's way by going to the vicinity of the immoral woman. He's reckless. He doesn't care about the danger or the possible consequences at all. He's doing it anyway. And on a similar note, similar note, there's Proverbs twenty-six, eleven: Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. The dog goes back to the area of his disgusting sin willingly time and time again. It's not that he tries to avoid it and fails. He's not trying at all. He's likely even running back to it. I'll tell you, having been in ministry among and to primarily single people for the first 13 years of my Christian walk, I can tell you this type of deliberate recklessness is sadly quite common among singles and dating couples. Instead of putting safeguards on their computer use, instead of agreeing to put certain boundaries of their own conviction and choosing upon their dating interactions, all too often, people just decide to wing it instead or even throw caution to the wind. Sure, let's keep the computer in a private place with no accountability or protective software. Okay, let's hang out alone together behind closed doors late at night. What could possibly go wrong? And when the obvious does end up happening, sometimes it's just like the dog returning to his vomit. They decide to change nothing and go right back to what they were doing, whether it's pornography or fornication even. It's been said that the definition of insanity is doing the exact same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, that worldly saying has some similarity to Proverbs 26, 11. If you keep on stumbling and yet don't do a single thing to fight or change it, here's a newsflash, and I promise I say this to you out of love and a desire for your Christ-likeness and growth. If that's the case, then you're not really stumbling at all. Instead, the Proverbs call it a fool repeating his folly, just like a dog runs back to his own vomit. Let's give another example of a person like this. I'm going to tell you a story from the Darwin Awards website. A man riding bareheaded on one of about, on one of about 550 motorcycles in an anti-helmet law rally, lost control of his cycle, went over his handlebars, hit his head on the pavement, and died, police said, Sunday. The motorcyclist, 55-year-old Philip Kantos, likely would have, wanted, would have survived the accident if he'd been wearing a helmet, state troopers said. Again, we're talking about recklessness here. It's not like he wanted to wear a helmet but just couldn't bring himself to do it. This was an anti-helmet activist who was determined not to wear a helmet. Let me give you another real-life example on recklessness. And this is something I myself am working on so much so that I've asked my wife to hold me accountable. Texting and driving. Multiple studies have come out on this topic, and texting and driving isn't merely just as bad as driving drunk. At least one study has shown that it's actually six times worse than driving drunk. Listen, I'm a husband and a father of two soon to be three young children, and I have no business texting and driving. Praise the Lord, it's gotten better in my life, but please, I implore you and ask you, feel free to hold me accountable any time on this, even if you're a stranger to me. I, I welcome that. Let's move on to our second subpoint. The fool has an irresponsible heart because he lacks an important fruit of the spirit from Galatians 5:22 and 23, specifically, self-control. We see this in Proverbs 5, 22 and 23. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So here, it isn't about recklessness. It isn't about a dog running to his own vomit. It's quite possible that the wicked man here understands that what he's doing is wrong. But he is, he's ensnared. His foolishness is shown by a lack of discipline, the verse says. He's unable to exercise self-control over his sin and his folly. We see the same concept in Proverbs thirteen nineteen: A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. A fool simply cannot turn away from his desires, even if it means doing evil. In fact, The very idea of a fool exercising self-control in this way is simply an abomination to him. That's how hateful and loathsome it is. In this way, the fool shares a lot in common with the proverbial sluggard who has an inability to control his desires, as I laid out in a Sundays in July message last summer. This lack of self-control is evident not only in desires, but also in emotions, we see in Proverbs 14.17 that a man of quick temper acts foolishly and a man of evil devices is hated. And the idea of a fool's inability to control his temper and anger is repeated in places like Proverbs 14.29, 19.3, and 27.3. This image of lacking control over emotions is presented even more strongly in Proverbs 17:12, where we have a fool acting like a completely out-of-control maniac. Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Now, when I read these verses, the thing that came to my mind was another driving illustration, this time on road rage. In most cases of road rage, you have ordinary, normal people doing an ordinary, normal thing like driving. And yet one person cutting them off or, or honking or making, let's just call it, a rude gesture or getting into a minor fender bender with them, and suddenly their she-bears robbed of their cubs. It becomes an out-of-control escalation, so much so that each year in the U.S., these road rage incidents result in approximately 200 murders. Most of them deemed to be intentional, sadly. So that's another way a fool has an irresponsible heart. He lacks self control. So if a fool is reckless, if a fool lacks self control, it should be no surprise that a fool is terrible with money. Proverbs 17, 16 is clear on this subpoint. Why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? The implication here is that a fool's lack of sense means that he has trouble earning money or procuring wealth, as one commentary puts it. And again, that's not surprising for a reckless person who lacks self-control. Earlier, we read how people who are around fools will tend to be wounded and suffer harm. Who would want to hire someone like that? But a fool isn't just terrible with money on the revenue side. They're also terrible on the expense side. Proverbs 21.20 says, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. The fool is a spendthrift. He gives in to his whims and emotions and buys everything he wants. It's as if he's someone that's making minimum wage, but who always has the latest model iPhone. You might see someone like this with a veritable ton of credit card debt. His assets are devoured and there is no precious treasure in his household. When you look at these very straightforward descriptions about a fool's irresponsible heart in the area of money, you can understand why Proverbs 19.10 would say plainly, it is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury, much less for a slave to rule over princes. It's a completely incongruous and unnatural image for a fool to live in luxury. It just doesn't fit. That's how terrible he is with money, and that's how bad of a steward that he is over his resources. Let's do one more. When you have someone who's reckless and lacks self-control and is terrible with money, again, it should be no surprise that he's also a grief to his family. We see so many references to this truth in the Proverbs. You'll see them on your handout. There's Proverbs 10, verse 1, 14, verse 1. 15 verse 20, 17 verse 21, 19 verse 13. It's up there on your screen, but I'll repeat them again. These are, again, the Proverbs that talk about a fool being a grief to his family. Proverbs 10, 1, 14, 1, 15, 20, 17, 21, and 19, 13. I'm going to look in particular at two verses, however, First, let's consider Proverbs 11, verse 29. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be the servant to the wise of heart. This verse illustrates how a fool disturbs and causes so much trouble in his own home that his inheritance is gone with the wind. Whether that's due to his family disowning him, or he or his family spending all the money on the fool's folly or consequences of that folly, it's not entirely clear. But either way, the fool himself becomes so poor that he needs to indenture himself as a servant in a form of voluntary slavery practiced in ancient Israel. And let's also look at Proverbs 17, verses 24 and 25. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. These verses really bring to mind what I'd say is the best example in Scripture of a fool with an irresponsible heart, and that's the prodigal son from Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. In that parable, we have a foolish son insultingly asking for his inheritance early, which in ancient Israel would be like wishing that your father was dead. His eyes were on the ends of the earth, as the proverb says, The implication in Hebrew is that his gaze was wandering and unsteady and scattered with the goal of chasing fantasies and flights of fancy, which is behavior that is criticized elsewhere in Proverbs. And the prodigal son did in fact travel to a faraway foreign land to live a completely wild and reckless life devoid of any self-control whatsoever, wasting all of his money. And of course, this was indeed a grief to his entire family who was wondering where he was and what he was doing and whether he was even alive. Now, the parable has a happy ending in that the prodigal son genuinely repented and returned home to a lavish welcome from a loving father. But it doesn't change the fact that while he was a prodigal, he was reckless and lacked self-control and was terrible with money and a grief to his family. Fools don't always have to remain fools, but the consequences of their folly often persist. And at times like that, that's where we simply have to trust God's sovereignty and providence, and to remember that for earnest believers, Romans 8.28 tells us that all things will work out for our good, even or especially if they're hard or challenging things. So I think that's enough on our second theme, the fool has an irresponsible heart. Let's move to our third and final theme, the fool has an untamed tongue. This theme probably sounds familiar to you because its language is straight from James 3, verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Well, as James says, no human being can tame the tongue but the fool has an especially untamed tongue. Once again, I'm making an assertion about the Bible, so let me prove that assertion to you from Scripture. I honestly think this one will be easy simply because the verses are so crystal clear. Let's take a look at Proverbs 18, verse 7. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. That's basically a proof text for the proposition that the fool has an untamed tongue tongue. His mouth is his ruin. His lips are a snare even to his soul. It's a stark and chilling warning, and it's one of the clear characteristics associated with a fool. For such a simple and basic proposition, there's a fascinating and equally simple solution, and it's found in Proverbs 17, verse 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Again, this verse speaks for itself. It's one of those proverbs that's so easy to understand that it's profound and even kind of humorous. If you want to stop being a fool, you can start by just shutting up. When I say this, it brings to mind a great message from Chris Hamilton during last year's Sundays in July, Taming the Tongue on Social Media, where, we hear, where you'll hear about the many benefits of silence, of holding your tongue, and it's especially relevant for this third theme. So, yet again, let's probe into this theme of the fool having an untamed tongue by getting into detail about some specific ways this might apply. Our first subpoint is significant, and it's that a fool lacks discretion. When I say discretion, I'm referring to the specific usage of the word. Discretion relating to speech. According to Merriam-Webster, it's the quality of having or showing discernment or good judgment in conduct, and especially in speech, especially a cautious reserve in speech. Discretion is an incredibly important character trait for a Christian, and I've talked to many people over the years about that fact. I've actually come up with a list of proverbs that praise the concept of discretion, in the interest of time, I'm going to display them on the screen now, but I'm only going to read the verse citations, and if you want, you can write them down now and read them in the future. But for these Proverbs that praise the concept of discretion in speech, we have Proverbs 10 19, 13:3, 13, 13 3, 17 9, 1727. 19, 11, 21, 23, and 25 verses 9 and 10. Let me repeat those citations one more time. Again, they're also displayed in full up on the screen. Proverbs 10, 19, 11, 13, 13, 3, 17, 9, 17, 21, 23, and 25, verses 9 and 10. So those are some verses in Proverbs that praise the concept of discretion. But what we're focusing on today is showing how a fool lacks discretion. And he shows this in several different ways. One way he lacks discretion is simple. He talks too much. We see that in Proverbs 10, verse 8, the wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. And Proverbs 10, verse 10, two verses later is similar. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. This notion of a babbler is quite vivid. To babble means to talk excessively, and that is one hallmark of a fool's untamed tongue in that he lacks discretion. He lacks discretion by talking too much. Another way that a fool lacks discretion is that he talks too soon. A fool has no filter; he just immediately says whatever comes to mind. Proverbs 12:16 tells us that the, ve- the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Believe me, you will get real-time reports if a fool is unhappy with something or someone. And then there's Proverbs 29, 20, another crystal clear verse. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Again, more hope for a fool than for a man who speaks too quickly or immediately or with a snap judgment. That's the implication of being hasty in your words. You just blurt things out without thinking, you respond in the moment. And the problem with this is reinforced in Proverbs 18:13. This is one of the verses that my friend George Crawford and I call the lawyer verses. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. This shows the folly of prejudging a matter, or maybe only hearing one side of a story and then leaping to a conclusion. And you can look four verses later at Proverbs 18:17 on your own time to see how that's a problem. So a fool lacks discretion by talking too much, by talking too soon, and a fool lacks discretion by talking too pridefully. Proverbs 30 verse 32 says this clearly, if you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. If you're exalting yourself, you should just shut up. This is why elsewhere in Proverbs 27, verse 2, we're told to let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. We also see this concept of talking too pridefully in Proverbs 18, verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. This is such a clear character trait of a fool. They are so opinionated. They have something to say about everything, even when they know little to nothing about it, even when they lack understanding. Maybe they're anxious to be the center of attention or convinced that they're experts on whatever is being discussed. Remember from our first theme of a fool having an unteachable mind, fools already think they know it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. Let me talk now. Here's what I think. It's so interesting. Many times you have people who are so eager to tell you what they think, even though no one is asking them for what they think. That's one of the dangers of giving unsolicited counsel, especially if you don't have a strong relationship with a person. That unsolicited counsel can come off as presumptuous and prideful. Look, I still fail at this myself sometimes, but I'm so thankful that one of my good friends who's a pastor warned me about offering unsolicited counsel a dozen or so years ago because it's something that has always stuck with me. One last proverb on this. A fool lacks discretion by talking too much, too soon, too pridefully, and lastly, by talking too emotionally. Proverbs 29, 11 is clear. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. When a fool is emotional, he wears it all on his sleeve. He vents. You've probably used that term before, right? I just need to vent right now. This resonates with us because we've all probably done that before. And I suppose you can indeed do that but be very careful if you do, because if you're not careful, you might just be acting like a fool, giving full vent to your spirit. Okay, I think that's enough on the topic of fools lack discretion, so let's move to our 2nd subpoint. Another way a fool has an untamed tongue is that he says stupid things. I know this might seem basic and obvious in certain ways, but it's worth noting because the Proverbs focus on it. Proverbs 15 has three occurrences. Verse 2 says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fool, mouths of fools pour out folly. And pour out in the Hebrew could also mean belch forth, which seems very apt to me. Verse 7 is another. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. And there's verse 14 as well. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. Proverbs 27, 7, and 9 also have helpful guidance. We saw them before in a longer passage, but we'll read them again now. Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. In verse 9, like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. So even when... A fool has access to God's wisdom in the Proverbs. He manages to mess it up. Perhaps he gets the proverb wrong, or misquotes it, or misinterprets it, or misapplies it. Regardless, in the fool's mouth, even a proverb is useless and clumsy and painful. In the fool's mouth, it is foolish and stupid. But I especially love Proverbs 12, verse 23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. The fool is proclaiming his folly. He's shouting it out to anyone who can hear. He's stating his incorrect opinions conclusively. And all the while, he just looks so foolish to everyone as he does so. There's actually a name for this. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Just curious. Raise your hands if you know what the Dunning-Kruger effect is. Maybe one or two people. Okay, so here's what it is. A professor named David Dunning observed that people with substantial measurable deficits in their knowledge or expertise lack the ability to recognize those deficits and therefore, despite potentially making error after error, tend to think they are performing competently when they are not. In other words, you don't know what you don't know And sadly, in your fallen human pride, you think you know way more than you really do. On some levels, this is a universal affliction of our fallen flesh. But the thing about being a fool is that they don't hesitate to use their untamed tongues to proclaim their folly to everyone. How many times have we seen this? We see it all the time, don't we? whether it's a smug atheist sneering at the Bible's supposed contradictions or a smug liberal talking about guns, even though he has zero clue about guns. I just saw the other day there was someone that was insisting, yeah, AR-15, AR stands for assault rifle. And he was corrected by hundreds of people who were quick to tell him, no, it actually stands for Armalite 15. Or perhaps even smug conservatives who's utterly convinced that Saddam Hussein of Iraq was actually behind 9-11. Here's a suggestion. Don't pass along things you've merely heard unless you've personally verified it yourself. Here's another. If you're going up against the overwhelming consensus of experts in a field who've spent thousands and thousands and thousands of hours studying their subjects... You had better have the very clear word of God on your side and not just a few or even a few dozen hours of YouTube videos. Here's another. Unless you really are an acknowledged expert in a field, you might want to acknowledge the possibility that there's perhaps at least a tiny possibility that you might be wrong about something. Finally, it's always a good idea, and in fact, we're commanded to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility gentleness and patience if you do that it will definitely help you avoid saying stupid things like the fool does with his untamed tongue for our third subpoint another trait of a fool's untamed tongue is deceptive speech proverbs 10:18 is very clear on this the one who conceals hatred has lying lips And whoever utters slander is a fool. It's not just that the fool lacks discretion. It's not just that he says stupid things. He also engages in deceptive speech. He slanders people. You know the type, the one who reeks of negativity and can always find something to criticize in others. As the proverb says, there's a hatred there. Maybe it's well-concealed or perhaps only thinly concealed, but that hatred is there. For people like this, it's always good to remember, if the fool is talking about other people like this to you, you can only imagine what he's saying about you to other people. Proverbs 19 verse 1 makes a similar point. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. A fool's untamed tongue is also a crooked tongue. It's deceptive and lying and lacks integrity. You know, this is a personal, I feel very deeply about this on a personal level. Integrity of speech is so important for a Christian. Make sure you're not saying one thing to a person's face and another thing behind his back. Oh yeah, that project was great. Thank you so much for helping us out. Can you believe the job this guy did? I had to redo the whole thing myself. Remember, love rejoices in the truth. And and although you might not need to go out of your way to volunteer a comprehensive list of someone's faults, you also do people no favors by misleading them or by trying to be gracious at the unacceptable cost of being dishonest. Okay, let's do our final subpoint. The fourth way a fool has an untamed tongue is that he's quarrelsome. This is very clear from the scriptures. Proverbs 20, verse 3 is basically a proof text. It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Despite the fact that Christians are commanded not to be quarrelsome in 2 Timothy 2, verse 24, fools do not care about that because every fool will be quarreling. Again, there are no exceptions in this proverb. That is a characteristic of a fool, is that they are quarreling. One reason for this is because fools actually seem to enjoy arguments. That's what Proverbs 29, verse 9, would tell us. If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. The logic and reason of a wise man means nothing to a fool. Instead, the fool responds with raging and laughing, with anger and derision. And there is no peace as long as the fool is involved. Elsewhere in Proverbs, in chapter 17, verse 14, we know that general wisdom would tell us that the beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. How much more true is that wisdom when the quarrel is with a fool? or when the quarrel is with a fool on social media. On the topic of arguments, it can sometimes be helpful if we ask ourselves a few questions. Are your interactions with people more often characterized by grace and love or by quarrels and arguments and strife? Are you often surrounded by drama or needing to apologize or to put another spin on it, expecting or waiting on apologies from other people. If the answer is yes to any of these, it's possible that you've surrounded yourself with quarrelsome people, but it's also possible that maybe you're the quarrelsome one and you just don't know it yet. So far we've talked about verbal quarrels, but it's even worse than that. A fool's untamed tongue is so quarrelsome that he even gets into physical altercations. I love the imagery of Proverbs 18.6. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. It's a classic proverb, so vivid. As we've discussed, the fool's tongue is so untamed, so lacking in discretion, so full of stupidity and deception, that he's practically begging to get smacked in the mouth, This is another reason why it's a bad idea to be friends, close and intimate friends, with a fool. Because if you know the Proverbs at all, you can't pretend to be shocked if he ends up getting you into a fight. As a case in point, let me tell you a story about a foolish 19-year-old German man and his soon-to-be ex-girlfriend who were walking along the beautiful Havel River in Berlin. They began to quarrel and then quarrel quite bitterly to quote once again the Darwin Awards website, unable to win his conversational point, the frustrated man suddenly shoved the woman into the icy river, jumping in to push her under again and again. But she could swim and he could not. The man was charged with attempted homicide, but he was never convicted because he ended up dying of irreversible brain damage instead. Again, this is a tragic story of a quarrelsome fool. But as we consider the sweep of what it means for a fool to have an untamed tongue, how he lacks discretion and says stupid things and uses deceitful speech and is quarrelsome, I think we can think of a better example from scripture of a person like this. You see, when I think of these specific subpoints, the person who springs to mind is Simon Peter in the gospel accounts. He definitely lacked discretion. Many times he would just blurt out whatever was on his mind. Pastor John likes to tell an old joke that Peter is the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. Peter often said stupid things. He even proclaimed folly, such as when he pridefully vowed in Mark 14, verses 29 to 31, that he would never fall away. He would never disown Jesus. He even spoke deceitfully, as we know, when he then denied Jesus three times, thus proving his rash and uh, inaccurate vow. And finally, he was indeed quarrelsome. We know this from Matthew 16, 22, when Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, which is just a mind-boggling thought to me, <laughs> really. And just like the quarrelsome fool, Peter even took it beyond mere verbal arguments when he picked up a sword in John 18, 10 and lopped off the ear of the high priest's servant. So there's no question in my mind that Peter in the gospel accounts, had the untamed tongue of a fool. And yet, as with the unteachable mind of Solomon and the irresponsible heart of the prodigal son, at the end of the day, there is hope and redemption. Because with the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Peter became an apostle and one of the most powerful preachers ever, a skilled leader of the early church. And according to church tradition, he was even faithful unto death crucified upside down because he considered himself unworthy of the honor of being crucified in the same manner as his beloved Lord Jesus. And it's this hope and redemption in Jesus Christ that gives our message today the best possible conclusion. You see, anytime I preach from the Proverbs, I have to guard against the possibility of being too moralistic, of giving a trite, here's three steps to making you a better person type of message. That's the danger of looking at the proverbial fool and merely saying, okay, I really don't want to be a fool. Because the reality is, sadly, we're all fools. And more than that, in at least one good way, it can be good to be a fool. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 4, verse 10. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 10. I want you to see this in Scripture with me. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 10, and we're just going to read the first part of this verse. We are fools for Christ's sake. This truth turns the entire world upside down when it comes to the topic of the fool. You see, when you've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, when You understand the truth and the reality that Jesus Christ, who is God, true God, came down to earth from heaven and lived a perfect, sinless life as a man, true man, and that despite that, he was persecuted by sinful, wretched men who crucified him up on a cross. And as he hung there, Jesus Christ took upon himself all of the sin, past, present, and future of those who would ever believe in him as Savior and Lord. And then he died and was buried and he was raised on the third day showing his victory over sin and death. When you understand that truth of the gospel, your life is completely transformed. And in the same way, all three themes of the fool are completely transformed. We do have an unteachable mind. It's unteachable, Lord willing, to the things of the world because we have the mind of Christ and the full armor of God protecting us, and the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to grow us in wisdom. And our hearts might indeed look irresponsible to the eyes of the world. After all, many of the disciples just left their nets and left their work to follow Jesus, even left their own families. And throughout church history, we have missionaries and martyrs who face danger to such an extent that many people would call them reckless even and perhaps most of all our tongues have become loosed and untamed as they pour forth the word of god and proclaim the beauty and the majesty of our lord and savior jesus christ which sounds like utter foolishness to the world so whenever we get down on ourselves from act, uh, for, from acting like the proverbial fool at times for those of us who have truly repented and believe in christ we can simply look to the precious hope and redemption of our Savior, who on the cross paid for all of our sins and even all of our foolishness as well. And so we can rest easy in the knowledge that thanks to God's word, we can indeed recognize the fool within. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can indeed put off those foolish things, and then we can go and be a fool for Christ instead of being the proverbial fool. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to you for the word of God. We're so thankful to you for the indwelling Holy Spirit that indwells all believers. We're so thankful to you for our precious and beloved Jesus Christ. Lord, let us all be fools for Christ and not the proverbial fool. I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for our beloved congregation. I just pray you would bless them all richly. And even as we go about the rest of our day, Lord, I pray that we would do so with a mind stayed on the glories of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.